Hey, good morning. Welcome to MRCC on a nice fall day. It is fall. If the pumpkin spice latte is at Starbucks, it means that it's time for fall, right? I'm not one of those people. I'm a pumpkin cream cold brew person. But uh, it, it is fall. And uh, with that, you know, this past week, we got to... Um, celebrate and launch back into our fall ministries. We had the back to school bash this past Wednesday. And uh, I just want to take a second to celebrate because at youth alone, we had over 120 students at youth. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. And then at Impact and, and Forge, we had over 90 over there combined. I mean, if you were here on Wednesday, it looked like mass chaos, and it was, but it was like mass-controlled chaos, so that was good. So, um, yeah, I just, I just want to take a, a second to celebrate that and introduce myself. My name is Tyler. I'm the youth pastor here at MRCC, so uh, I have a lot of fun with all of the youth kids and everything like that. But who are you? Uh, I'm Brent. You may know me. I'm the group's pastor here as well as the... Uh not self-proclaimed IT pastor. So we, call have, him, we call him IT Brent. If you have tech problems, then I'm probably busy and can't help. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Good call. That's what you have to, I just, sometimes I have to pretend it's like, I don't know what I'm That's, doing. That was a, that was a good, that was a good save. <laughs> that was a good no, save. If you have anything, I, I can help with that sometimes. Oh <laughs> uh, man. But launching uh, back into our fall ministries, you know, one of those other things that is coming up is tomorrow is our women's night of connection with all of our women's ministries that are uh, launching for this upcoming year. It is tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m. Um, I think there's a slide. We throw that up there. Perfect. 6.30 to 8 p.m. I know the postcard that went out said 6.30 to 9. That was my fault. I typed it in wrong. Cheryl does not want to be here that late. So 6.30 to 8 p.m. Uh, if you're a lady and you're interested in what MRCC has to offer, please come and uh, just join us um, tomorrow night just to see what's going on uh, here at MRCC for our ladies. Absolutely. And even if you're not a lady or you just want to know what else is going on at MRCC, since we are kicking back off into our, our fall rhythm, that means our small group ministries are starting back up again throughout these next couple weeks into the end of September. And uh, Paul saw fit to end his letter uh, in 1 Thessalonians, to end the letter with some instruction to the church. It said, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, uh, encourage each other and build one another up as you do. And so this instruction to encourage each other is really accomplished the, the best when we gather together in smaller groups, when we build those relationships. And some of that happens as we're kind of passing by, uh, you know, on a Sunday morning, but it, it's so hectic that really those things are built when we get plugged into a smaller community of other believers that can encourage us, that can build us up. And also when we get involved and serve alongside each other. So if you're interested in joining a group or getting plugged in serving, you can do that by signing up online. Or also if you, if you have a uh, tug on your heart if you feel like God's calling you maybe to host or to lead a small group or a ministry of some sort, then you can also indicate that by signing up online. We would love to hear and, and help equip and resource you with that. Yeah, and we'll be in the foyer uh, just right outside these doors if you have any questions or anything like that. We're more than happy to, to answer those. Absolutely. And if you're newer to MRCC or you just want to learn more about who we are as a family, a great way to do that is with our membership classes. Those will be starting on October 1st and run 
the 1st, the 8th, and I believe the, the 15th. And so you can sign up for those membership classes online uh, as well, or you can uh, talk to us out in the foyer. That's just a fantastic way to get to know MRCC a little better, to get to know another group uh, of, of believers who just want to learn more about who we are and, and what we do here at MRCC. Yeah, and if you're just curious, we do have a lot more going on. If you're curious about that, you just kind of want to be in the know, um, please fill out that Connect card or you can take your phone out and you can scan that barcode in the seat back in front of you. Uh, and that just gives us an opportunity to connect with you more and lets you kind of know what's going on around here at MRCC. Uh, Pastor Greg is back in all of his long hair glory. <laughs> and so uh, open your Bible to uh, Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, thank you for that, Tyler. Thank you for that, Brent. And it is, it is good to be back, church. It is good to see you. Try and pick your jaw up off the floor and get over my haircut. All right, just try and move on from that. Um, actually, uh, I, 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 uh, you should feel, uh, well, some years ago, back in the 90s, remember when it was cool to shave your head and have a goatee? One Sunday morning, I showed up in front of the church shaved bald for the first time. So it was a lot more shocking than what you're seeing now. But uh, I will make you a promise. There is no mullet on the horizon. Somebody say, man, we're not going there. That's not going to happen. You may come back next week. And I cut. I just haven't done anything different for 25 years. And, and even though my wife might kill me in the middle of this process, I'm going ahead with it anyway. So... Uh, Hey, real quick before we jump in, a lot of folks have asked, uh, you know, how's Rhonda doing with coming back from the concussion, from the accident, everything. She's doing great. A week ago, she was able to start driving again, which is a huge step forward. Um, and this morning, she's here for all three services for the first time since, yeah, 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 since everything happened. So huge thanks to everybody for your prayers and your grace and your faithfulness in so many ways. Big, big thanks. She, uh, she still isn't back because she tried driving at night a couple days ago and that didn't work at all. So, uh, yeah, I used to be afraid to have her drive when I was in the car, but that night I was really afraid. But, uh, anyway, kidding, kidding. It's good to be back from Phoenix. Uh, I've learned a new spirit of thanksgiving and that is that I don't live in Phoenix. <laughs> four, four days down there it was 115 so it was hotter than a pistol and then in the middle of all that, that big storm that affected Nevada and everything blew in and they had to drain everybody out of the football stadium. We're just a block from the football stadium so a lot of chaos but it's good to be back. Great to be back with you and, and to remember you know how much God loves his church. God loves his church so much that he calls her his wife, his bride. That's an amazing thing to remember. And, and when I'm gone or when we're gone and then we come back and your love is just overwhelming. So thank you for that. It's pretty cool. Uh, open your Bible to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13 this morning. We're going to continue our road trip through Luke's Gospel. Remember what we said at the beginning of the year is that Jesus said there would be a lot of people preaching a Jesus that's not the real one. Today we'd call it a deep fake. There's a lot of that that would be going on. And Jesus used terms uh, from his time. So he talked about watching out for false prophets. Today we'd say watch out for deep fakes. And the idea is the same. And, and Jesus said it would be easy to tell the difference between the real him and the fake him. All you do is pay attention to the real him and you'll always be able to recognize the fake him. And so we've been doing that. We've been going through Luke's gospel uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we're going to finish that out by the end of the year. Things are going to speed up a little because we're going to get into the passion. But this morning we're in Luke's gospel chapter 13 beginning with verse 1 and and, and let me begin this morning by reminding you of something you've already learned. Most everybody in the room has already learned this. 
And that is that there's an enormous difference between the reality of high school and the reality of life afterwards. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, when, when we're in high school or middle school, but mainly high school, we sort of start to think that that's real life. And then once we get out, we discover how different real life is than school. We discover that everything was different than we thought it was. And we begin to grasp, even in our early 20s, oh my goodness, that whole reality was kind of a fantasy. High school was not real life. And I was thinking about this this week, and I came across a couple of examples of what I'm talking about, so I thought I'm sharing with you. For example, Tom Hanks looks quite a bit different in real life now than he did uh, in high school. And I thought I would throw that up there because uh, then you would know that I'm not the only one who sometimes chooses a bad haircut. Because, uh, you know, he, he or how about this one? Check this one out. Uh, George Clooney. <laughs> not quite the heartthrob, ladies, that so many people think uh, that he is now. Yeah, things were different back then. How about Taylor Swift in high school as opposed to Taylor Swift now, right? You know, there was, it wasn't real. How about, how about Zoe Saldana, you know, the actress? Look how different things looked for her. Or a lot of the younger crowd really thinks Zac Efron was handsome, but not so much uh, in high school. <laughs> things were looking a little different back then. And then, of course, there's our friend Randy Quaid, who grew up and things got a whole lot different after high school, right? Yeah. But seriously, how would you have lived differently in high school if you understood that real life comes after school? How differently would you have lived? What, what choices would you have made differently? How would you have spent your time? What would you have worried and, and been anxious over instead? It's, you know, once we get to the other side of, of high school, we realize, oh, my goodness, you know, I was kind of living in a bubble there. And now I'm in the real world. And, and here's the reason that I bring that up to us this morning is that God wants us to understand that judgment is coming and the next life is coming and he wants us to understand that in a lot of ways, this life is kind of like high school. It's the thing before the real thing. And he wants us to understand that because of the real thing, we're going to wish that we had made a lot of choices differently now in light of them. You see, in front of every one of us is eternity. And Jesus wants us to understand that this life is kind of like the high school before real life. And how we live now, we will see we wanted to make different choices now if we had paid attention to then. I think about uh, a regret that I have from high school. Early in high school, I had a, a friend, one of a number of friends that were kind of a, a circle, close friend. His name was Dennis. And when we got to high school, it didn't take me very long to figure out that, that Dennis wasn't really one of the cool kids. That, in fact, a lot of the in crowd looked down on Dennis. And if you were hanging out with Dennis, there must be something wrong with you. And I felt that pressure. And I felt it so much in my immaturity and my ignorance. I felt it so much that I, I started purposefully distancing myself from Dennis. And, 
And when Dennis kind of resisted, then I, I did it more strongly, and I kind of broke that connection with him for no other reason than I didn't want to be thought of as one of the people hanging around with Dennis. How I regret that now. Can I tell you, though, that as life has gone on and we moved into real life and Dennis became a believer and I became a believer, now we share a really cool connection. We share our faith and, and we're great today. But I still wish that I had made different choices back then. And here's the reality. If I knew then what I knew now, I would have. And in the same way, Jesus comes to us and he says, hey, judgment is coming. Eternity is coming. It's right around the corner. And I want you to live in the light of it. And you'll be glad if you did or you'll regret it if you don't. Do you think about the reality of life beyond this life? It's amazing how many of us spend most of our time kind of pretending it isn't real when in fact it's the most real thing that every one of us faces because every one of us is going to enter eternity, life after high school. That's what's on Jesus' mind here in Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. When the crowd asks him some questions that reflect that they're thinking only of this life, and Jesus wants to lift their eyes to the reality of eternity. And so, so let's, let's listen to him together. Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. Now, there were some present at that time, this part of Jesus' ministry, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now, let me help you understand. From time to time, the Roman Empire would crack down on the provinces in those days, and they would crack down for various reasons. And one of those crackdowns had occurred. We don't know exactly why the Galileans were executed by the Romans, but they were. And whether it was a result of, of their rebellion or whether it was a result of Rome's, you know, corruption, we don't know. But the people saw that these Galileans were murdered, and then they said, why did that happen? Or more pointedly, why did God let that happen? And not only were they asking that question, they were drawing conclusions about it. And that's why they asked Jesus. They say, hey, Lord. Those folks suffered in that way. What caused it? There was another occasion when they came, uh, the crowd came to Jesus and said, hey, this guy was born blind. Why? Who sinned that this guy was born blind? And that's kind of the, the heart of the question they're asking here. And, and Jesus responds very directly because he doesn't want them or us to misunderstand this reality. Jesus says there's not, catch this, friends, it's really important, there is not a one-to-one -one relationship between people's circumstances and their righteousness. Look how Jesus responds, verse 2. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? You know, an earthquake strikes Morocco on Friday, and this morning they're telling us the death toll is approaching 3,000 and will probably go much higher. We say, Why? We say, why, God, did that happen to them? And we look for reasons why it happened to them. A foolish politician this week parroted this line of thinking when she said, well, the reason that storm hit those people in Nevada is because the way they're living. Jesus says, no, that's not the case. Listen to what he says. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the others because they suffered in this way? I tell you no, emphatically. 
Jesus strongly says, and I tell you that is not the case. But he says, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Another tragedy, a construction accident. 18 workers were killed. And there was this tendency to say, well, somebody must have done something to cause that. We always got to find somebody to blame. Jesus says, I tell you, no. They weren't more guilty than everybody else. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, Greg, you have a tendency to judge people because of the circumstances they're experiencing. If somebody's having a rough life, you say, well, they must have made bad choices. And while that is sometimes true, it's not always or even often true. And Jesus says, watch out, Greg, for, because of your tendency to judge people by their circumstances. Watch out for that because it'll blind you to your own need for grace. Unless you too repent, Jesus says, you will all perish. You know, there's a saying that became popular in the 20th century in Christian circles. You've heard it. It goes like this. God calls us to hate the sin and love the sinner. And many of us embrace that for a season of our lives. But I had my heart change when I heard a preacher say, you know what, that's not actually what Jesus taught. Jesus taught us to love the sinner and hate our own sin. <laughs> wow. And Jesus is speaking with that kind of spirit in this moment. He says, hey, Greg, unless you too stay in touch with your own need to live with repentance, to live with an attitude of submission and humility to God, to daily confess your sins, then you'll get distracted into just focusing on everybody else's. And Jesus said, the Bible says sometimes the people who are suffering the most, the people who are going through the hardest stuff, are actually the most righteous people, the most good people. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, for example, the scripture says this, describing people's circumstances and experiences. He says, some people face jeers and flogging. Others are chained and put in prison. He's describing the faithful people. They were stoned. Not, not that way. It's like stoning with rocks to kill people. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. There's a tendency for us to say, well, if people are experiencing that, it's because of their bad choices. Jesus says, no. No, there's, there's so much more to the story that you don't know. And God says of these very same people, the world was not worthy of them. In other words, even though they were in those rough circumstances, they were in fact living the most righteous lives of all. And Jesus says, you and I have a tendency to judge people based on their circumstances. Don't do that. Don't go to these wild conclusions that are broad and across the, uh, you know, kind of across the spectrum. Instead, understand that everybody's story is different. Everybody's got a story. I remember years ago, there was a man in the church that I was pastoring, not here, but in the church that I was serving at the time. And I noticed that he would always walk out of the sanctuary somewhere during the first worship song. And then sometimes he'd come back, but then he'd leave again. And, and then when we'd get to the message, he would frequently get up and walk out and then come back in again. And, you know, he'd just figure whatever, you know, I don't know what's going on there. But as time went by and this became a constant thing, I started wondering in my heart, what, what is that about? You know, why can't he just stay and worship? Why can't he just sit down like everybody else? So one day after church, you know, we have a friendly moment. And I asked him, I said, what's that all about? 
I'll never forget the look in his eye. He said, well, Pastor Greg, I, I actually have cancer in my spine. And I can only sit for brief periods of time. Then I have to get up and walk around because it hurts so much. And suddenly I'm like, wow, did I completely misread that situation. Jesus wants us to understand that everybody has a story and you and I don't know all of that story. And so he calls us to steer away from those kind of blanket categorizing or stereotyping. And it's a big deal, Jesus says, because when we let ourselves do that, we lose touch with our own need to repent, with our own need to seek God's forgiveness daily, to confess our sins, that discipline that Christians practice and most of the world does not. Yeah, he says, if you don't, become aware of this, Greg, you'll fall into that tendency. I remember a woman who came to my office many years ago, and she said, Pastor, I just have a really hard time coming to church. You know, it's hard. She says, I'm a believer, but coming to church is hard. So I started to think, well, let's kind of unpack that and see what that's about. And and I remember saying to her, you know, that's God's will for you is to gather. I know, I know, but it's hard. And so finally I said, well, can you tell me why? I mean, you know, this is, this is what Jesus invites us to do. Well, then she began to tell me her story about how as a teenager she was sexually molested by the youth pastor of the church that she was part of. And because of that, she dealt with great guilt and shame and, and great difficulty understanding why God would allow such a thing. And my heart began to open up as I realized this woman's carrying deep wounds, but she hadn't even got started yet. Because then she went on to talk about when she grew up and became a mom, and she sent her two teenage daughters to her church's youth group, a youth worker, not the pastor, but a youth worker, a volunteer, sexually assaulted both of her daughters. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. There's a part of her that wonders if anybody's for real. She still wasn't done. She said, Pastor Greg, I actually came here today because I just found out this week that one of my granddaughters was sexually molested by a youth worker at her church. And suddenly her struggle to be one of us looks totally different. She's carrying wounds and hurts and questions that change the whole story. Boy, was our conversation different after that. And, and church, that's the reality for everybody. Jesus wants us to grasp. Everybody's got a story. And so he says, hey, here's the way to not fall into that trap. Remember that you need to confess your sins and repent daily. Remember that you need to live in the light of eternity. And that'll keep you from getting carried away by moments like this. And, and, and then he tells a story. Then Jesus tells a parable that's connected to this idea, but that goes deeper. Look at uh, verses 6 to 9. Jesus says, a man had a fig tree, and he planted it in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and it hasn't, I haven't found any. It's not producing any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Now, pause for just a moment. Because in the story, Jesus is again speaking to us about the reality of judgment. At the end of our lives, God doesn't just wave a magic wand and everybody goes to heaven because after all, God's just into not holding anybody accountable. No, the exact opposite is true. Every day of my life matters in the eyes of a father who loves me, just like your kids' lives matter to you. And judgment is a reality and 
in the beginning of this story, Jesus is saying, hey, remember, that's coming. That moment is coming. God expects fruit in my life. God expects fruit in your life. It's not the same from all of us. It's of the same kind. It's love and joy, peace and patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all those virtues that Jesus teaches us. God expects you to make a difference in other people's lives by helping them, by blessing them. Yeah, yeah, he looks for fruit in our lives. But on this particular tree, there isn't any. And the, the, the master says, well, cut it down. It shouldn't be using up the soil. It's not producing anything. But one of his servants replied and said, sir, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now, there's two things happening here. On the one hand, Jesus is challenging his fellow Israelites, his fellow Jews, because Israel is the tree that isn't bearing fruit. Israel's religious, but it's not helping people. Israel worships God, but it doesn't seek the lost. And Jesus is calling them on the carpet about that. He's saying, hey, that was the whole point from the beginning. If you look at when I called Abraham at the beginning, I said, I want to bless you, and I want to make you a blessing to the world. Israel's purpose is to share the goodness of God with the world, and you're not doing it. So there's a, a, a level in which Jesus is challenging Israel in this moment. But there's also a level in which he's challenging each one of us. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus wants us to understand God's heart when we don't bear fruit. God says, I want, I want to cultivate. I want to work with this person. I want to help them. Greg, Greg I, want to, I want to help you day by day to, to become more fruitful. I want to work in your life. I want to, as Jesus says, prune the corners of your life and cultivate the roots of your spirit. I, I want to work with you. I want to build you up and make you fruitful. My heart is not to just condemn you because you haven't lived up to my expectations. My heart is to help you grow. That's how a father feels, how you feel about your kids. And God, Jesus wants us to understand that's how God feels about us. So there's a warning about judgment, but there's also an encouragement about God's heart. He says, I want to help you do this. I want to help you grow and bear fruit in this way. There's, there's kind of two sides of this. The first one is kind of a solemn and sober one. Judgment is coming. The Bible puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We must all appear. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. And since we know what it is to fear the Lord, to respect that judgment, we, we try to persuade men. In other words, there's a sense in which judgment is a serious and sobering business. Now, that isn't supposed to make you become insecure in your faith. The Bible teaches us that there are two judgments at the end of this life. One is of the world and one is of us. The one that is of the world, you read about at the end of Revelation, chapter 23, the books are open. Find out if your name's written in the book of life. If it's not, bad news. But the other one, the judgment of believers, of us, because our names are written in the book of life. Once you believe in Jesus, you're adopted by God. You're a child of God. But there's another judgment of us, and that's what 2 Corinthians is talking about as well. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it, basically it's a judgment of our works. Hey, Greg, I gave you my gospel. I gave you my grace. I gave you life. I gave you talents and abilities. What have you done with them? Did you do anything with them? Did you help anybody else? Did you share my love and grace with anybody else? And the Bible says, catch this, friends. The Bible says that some believers will enter heaven like a naked man escaping from a burning house. 
wow, you want to be that person? Probably not. You know, my wife was pretty funny when we were in the ER. You know, when she was growing up, her mom said, always make sure you have clean underwear because if they have to go to the hospital, they'll see your underwear. (laughs) So one of the things Rhonda said when we got out of the ER that night was, well, I had clean underwear. I got to tell my mom, you know, (laughs) it was was okay. But, but, But there's a sense, church, in which... You know, you're going to have to take off maybe some myths you've collected along the way. Not everybody goes into heaven and is equal and the same. Some step into heaven to great reward and acclaim. Some are standing there naked, gasping because they just barely made it. And the difference is, what have we done with our lives in the meantime? And Jesus says, hey, Greg, this life you're living is kind of like high school. But reality is (laughs) coming. And, and when I hear that, I live differently, just like you would have in high school if you understood life after high school. But here's the second side of it. Every day, God is saying, let me try again with you. That's, that's what the, ma- the, the, the worker in the story is doing. Oh, I want to work with you. I want to help you. I want to fertilize around this tree, dig around it, teach it how to bear fruit. And so if you look in the mirror and you say, man, I... I'm not making a difference. Know this, God doesn't condemn. He says, hey, let me work with you. I want to help you. I know you have it in the past, but going forward from here, I want to father you. I want to stand alongside you and help you and teach you and, and, and bring these things to reality. That's why Jeremiah writes in Lamentations chapter three, his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. And God's desire is to work with me and you to create that fruitfulness. Now, Let's kind of turn the corner because we're running out of time this morning. The problem is that with all those realities we just talked about, some people are still more concerned about keeping rules than helping people. And so the story goes on, beginning there with uh, verse uh, 10 down through really verse 17. We find Jesus going to church. There's a woman there who's sick, who needs healing. And Jesus heals her right there in the middle of the church service. And the synagogue ruler gets upset about it. Look, look, verse 14. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there's six days for work, come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. What breathtaking ignorance. And the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrite. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his donkey from his stall and lead it out to give water? In other words, you, you do normal things all the time for yourself but then you prohibit them in certain environments, forgetting that in God's priorities, that's always the most important thing. See, here's, here's the challenge for we who are churched. It's easy to fall into the habit of thinking that our rules, significant as they are, are the most important thing. When in God's eyes, what's more important is helping hurting and lost people. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's his grace that seeks us at our worst. And Jesus is upset that the people, it is possible to hang around church and be far from God. And that's what's happening in this moment. And so Jesus wants us to know the difference. He wants us to know what matters most. Sometimes we see circumstances and we say, well, if that person lived a different kind of life, they wouldn't be suffering that way. While that is absolutely true, Jesus' heart is compassion for them. He wants to rescue them and bring them out of that misery. In January of 2018, the power went out at the Atlanta 
airport. And uh, it was sudden and uh, occurred on a busy weekend. And all of a sudden, thousands of people are, are stuck in the airport, unable to catch their flights, unable to do anything, really. There's not enough hotel rooms. So the, the airport was just, uh, you know, in, in an extreme situation. And Chick-fil-A, which is always closed on Sunday because their leadership is us, Chick-fil-A found out about it, and they said, oh, my goodness, all these people here need food. So they called in all their staff on Sunday, fired up their generator, and fed the whole airport. And you know what happened? <laughs> Some people started writing letters saying, well, I thought you were standing up for Jesus. You shouldn't have done that on Sunday. Are you kidding? <laughs> what is wrong with you, right? And, and Jesus is saying, hey, Greg, I want you to understand that if you're not focused on your own sins, if you're always trying to judge everybody else, you're never going to be like Chick-fil-A, <laughs> and you should be. It's not that Chick-fil-A doesn't believe in the Sabbath on a normal Sunday, yeah, but you get the idea. And God wants us to grasp this. Living in the light of judgment, here's what we're almost done. Living in an awareness that, that this is kind of like high school and that eternity is coming means knowing that we will be judged by a God who loves and cares for people not just by a God who has a lot of rules, but by a God who loves and cares for people. That's who he is. And when we understand that, then we're really getting judgment. Then suddenly my everyday isn't just about, you know, my rules, although those are real. It's about who am I caring for, who am I reaching out to, who am I helping, who am I serving, who, who am I sharing the grace of God with? So Jesus finishes it all up uh, by telling another story. It's what he does. Look at verses 18 and 19. So then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It says, like a mustard seed, tiniest of all seeds. But when a man took it and planted it in his garden, it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in his branches. In other words, it's in these small things that the kingdom of God happens. Those who are following a false Jesus will tell you that what matters is what gets the most attention, what's the loudest, what gets the most clicks, the most influence, the most eyeballs. That's what really matters. Jesus says, nope, never has been and never will be. It's what happens in the tiny corners of your life and mine. It's in those mustard seed moments that the kingdom of God grows in me. People say, I want more of God. And so they look for loud, uh, multi, you know, uh, popular, spectacular things. And, and God can work in those things, but Jesus made it clear that he works most in little things. You know, when I think about our family life, I imagine it's probably like yours when Isaiah was growing up and we were not an empty nest, you know. We had a lot of big moments in our lives, but you know the ones that stick and matter the most were the little ones. Like there was a Friday night when absolutely nothing was going on. We were at home. It was the most ordinary Friday night in the world. And Rhonda will sometimes do what's called, a she calls a foot soak. She gets all these special salts and things and puts them in a Tupperware tub. And then she puts her feet in them and soaks them to keep them soft and everything. Whatever. You women live a different life than the guys do. <laughs> but on this night... Our 13-year-old son, our teenage son, go, what is that? Oh, mom, can I do a foot soak too? And I was like, 
Who raised you? You're not my son, you know what I mean? But no, Rhonda was like, yeah. And so the two of them sat there and soaked their feet in the living room. And I sat there and mocked them and made fun. And it was such a glorious night. <laughs> and to this day, it still binds us. Our whole family, remember the foot soap night? Oh, that was awesome. And Isaiah, who's going to be 30 next year and is married and lives on his own, once in a while, he'll still come around and have a foot soak with mom. Why? Because it binds so deeply. And when Ron and I are alone and remembering, we often say, remember the foot soak night? Yeah. See, God knows that it's those little things that have the biggest impacts in our lives. By far. If you come into my office, I'm almost done. If you come into my office and you look in the corner on, on my, kind of my scattered bookshelf, you'll see a, a Lego Batmobile. Okay? It's like this long. I don't do Legos. I've never built one in my life. But a couple of years ago, a couple of the younger members of our staff said, oh, Pastor Greg, what'd you think of the new Batman movie? I, th I thought it was terrible. That guy's not tough. He's the worst Batman ever. But I said this, I said, but that was the most awesome Batmobile ever. It's a 69 Pontiac Firebird rebuilt. That was the best Batmobile ever. So you know what they did? They heard that. And they got together on their own. They went and got a kit. And they spent a whole weekend building this intricate Lego Batmobile. And then they brought it in and gave it to me. Do you know what that says about how they feel about me? And suddenly how I'm feeling about them Wow, Jesus says it's those little things that make the biggest difference. If you're reaching for more of God in your life, Jesus says, look for the little things. When I was a new believer, my language was foul. Uh, every other word was the F word. That's how I grew up. But when I became a believer and Jesus said, hey, Greg, every word that you speak matters, Suddenly I was like, oh my goodness, are you serious? It matters that much? I didn't know it mattered that much. I thought it was kind of a throwaway thing. Yeah, it mattered. Okay, so a tiny little moment when I heard Jesus say that suddenly went like a seed into my heart. And in a matter of months, I lost all those words and they're still gone. My son would be 30 years old. He's never once heard his dad swear. Since I became a follower of Jesus, Rhonda's never heard me swear. You've never heard me swear, and you never will. Just a tiny little thing, but it makes all the difference. And, and, and Jesus says, that's how it is in the kingdom. If you're reaching for more of God, don't, don't, don't look for the next big thing. Look for the next little thing. That's what makes all the difference. Look small. And finally, it's the tiny act of just believing in Jesus that makes the biggest difference. The Lord says when we receive him as our Savior, we're born again. We are a new creation. We are utterly transformed from the inside out. Makes all the difference when we believe. Let, let, let me finish with a story because Jesus goes on and says, the scripture says in verse 22, he went through the towns and villages teaching and someone said, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus said, yeah, because judgment is coming. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. Broad is the path that leads nowhere. There's a narrow path to eternity. And he said, make every effort to enter that narrow path. And, and here's the reality, church. He is that path. He wasn't saying that it's a really high mountain you got to climb. He said, there's one person that you got to receive, and that's me. The Bible puts it this way. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name given to heaven by which 
we may be saved. Jesus put it this way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you don't believe I'm the one I claim to be, you'll die. In other words, it's a tiny thing to believe in Jesus. And most of the world thinks it doesn't matter as much as it actually does. But in that moment when we make that choice, it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. Maybe this morning you're here and you're not a believer. You came with some friends. You're just kind of seeking. God just wants you to know this. He's seeking you, always has been. He loves you. He knows you haven't been bearing fruit, but he wants to fertilize. He wants to change you. He wants to make you the kind of person who makes a difference to others, whose life matters. He says, I want to help you do that. And it all begins when you receive me as your Savior, when you receive my Son into your life. That's what does it. It's a tiny thing, but in the end, it's the biggest thing. And if you haven't done that, you can have a tiny moment right here this morning that'll make all the difference. It'll seem small, but Jesus says it'll become the biggest thing in your life. And that's if you make the choice to receive him as your Savior. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, we thank you for reminding us that the life beyond this life, the one that goes on forever, that's so much more real. And you remind us that here is kind of like high school. <laughs> you know, there's, it, it's real, but it's not forever. And you invite us to live in the light of forever. We thank you for that. And God, I think of that person sitting here this morning who has never said to you, I want you to be my father, God. I receive your son Jesus as my savior. I want to know you, God, as my father. If that's you this morning, you can open your heart to him right now and he will come in. That seed will begin to grow in you. All you have to do is say, God, yes, I receive Jesus as my savior. I want to know you, God, as my father. You can do that right now. He's listening. It'll be the biggest thing that's ever happened in your life. God, thank you for your word. As we go from here today, send us out knowing, isn't it good news to know that it won't be like this forever, that the other side is more real. Send us out living in the light of that, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand with me, church. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. After graduation, everything looks different. After we step out of this world into home, yeah, let's live like it now. I mean, the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God, tell someone you love them, have a great afternoon.